0: This is Tracy Malone from Support.com. Today, I've got a very special guest, Aaron Riley, who has written a book called The Dark Force. How appropriate is that when we hear about narcissistic stories? When I was reading Aaron's book, the similarities between our stories were overwhelming. I mean, there's always similarities, but I couldn't stop writing. Oh, my God, that happened too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It, it It was just synchronous. How exactly the same our stories were and so I brought her here for us to to learn and hear because if they were so similar to her and I I'll bet they were similar to you as well and it's about us being validated and understanding that we're not alone we're not crazy and these narcissists male or female um are kind of cut from the same cloth so let's go visit with Erin and see how our stories overlapped we had a great conversation we talked for an hour beforehand and we talked for an hour afterwards I want you guys to listen and hear the stories and hear the journey of the destruction of narcissists and what they can do so let's go meet Erin hi Erin welcome to my show I'm so glad that you are here with us today
1: I am so happy to be here. It's an honor to speak with you today. Uh, you are really to me at the top of the narcissistic abuse recovery, you know community and uh, and it's an honor to share my story and discuss it with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so honored.
0: Your book, A Dark Force, um, when I read it, I was so taken. I was like, this is my life. And people tell me that all the time. Are you talking about my life? And then I'm like, I'm reading your book. And I'm like, she's talking about my life. It's It just trickles around. So before we get started with some of the questions and talk about your book, I would love it if you could just give us a brief um, introduction to who you are
1: okay well um my name is erin riley and i am 64 years old i live in philadelphia just outside of philadelphia i was born and raised in new york city i had a rather unconventional childhood kind of call myself the original latchkey kid so we'll probably talk a little bit about that later on Uh, i worked in the music business for 40 years i worked in radio i worked at record companies i opened my own children's music school uh, I have uh, produced concerts and events and all kinds of things my entire life. I even gave a TED talk, right? So I've done a lot of cool things with my career, uh, but unfortunately, my uh, my uh, some marriage, marriages did not go quite as well uh, as my career life did. So my romantic life uh, became. Uh, unmanageable. I married twice, and uh, the second time to uh, who the book is about. So, uh, so that's kind of my story. I'm here to share that story. That's the most important aspect of my book, and why I'm here today.
0: Well, everything in the book is amazing. It's called The Dark Force, and uh, we'll hold on up in a little while for people. As I said, when I was reading the book, I, actually I was listening to the book, and I uh, was like. You know chopping vegetables and going oh man I need a piece of paper I gotta write down that that's like that's what happened to me oh my god that's what happened to me I, and it was like a book by the time I was done of the similarities in our stories and mm-hmm. I know that most narcissistic stories overlap but our similarities and even location stuff and everything was just oh my god oh yeah that's right I forgot about that oh yeah so I want to talk about just again the 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 reason that our stories are similar is our, starts off with our, our growing up and our background. And um, you said you were a scapegoat in the family, as was I. Tell me about your childhood life, because this is the vulnerable part that if we have something like this, I had an alcoholic mother and all the other stuff too, check, check, check. And that makes us more vulnerable. So tell us about the beginning of your life and then we'll get into some of the later parts.
1: Okay. So as I mentioned, I grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side in an apartment. I am just a mom and dad and me and my younger brother is just two years younger than me. Uh, But it felt like the Stepford family. Felt like everybody was kind of moving in their own directions. People weren't really connecting. You know, there wasn't affection or romance between my parents that I could see. It was just everybody's getting the business of the family done. Like somebody's getting something at the grocery store and somebody's off to work and you know, whatever. It just seemed like there weren't those warm, tender moments of, you know, snuggling in bed or when you're sick, mommy's sitting with you or any of that, you know, intimacy that you see other families have. Uh, but as a child, I didn't really know that anything was wrong with my life. I really didn't know. I didn't have arguments and screaming and yelling and throwing things. Uh, it wasn't very dramatic. It was just kind of, you know, like I said, sort of like the business of the day. As kids, we were left to, you know, take care of ourselves, and grew to be very, very independent. Uh, my father was the alcoholic in my family dynamic, and uh, and also very depressive. So my father could be the sort of charming guy at the dinner table, tell a story uh, when there was company over, but the rest of the time he might be sitting in a chair, looking out the window, kind of daydreaming. He's a bit of a daydreamer he did most of his drinking away from the house so we as children didn't see him drunk but you could cut the air you know with a knife in my household for sure my mother was a fashion model she was a big haute couture runway model on you know in the fashion district in New York City working with all the top designers and uh, so I would look at her and even though she seemed to be very cold and unaffectionate and unemotional very much like one of the mannequins my mother was um, she seemed to be the one that was getting stuff done, right? So my assumption was that she was more of a parent than my father was, right? But what I didn't really realize is that she (laughs) didn't want to be a parent and she wasn't doing parental and motherly things, you know, she was, she didn't see us, she didn't hear us, she didn't make space for us, she wasn't affectionate with us, right? So, but like I said, since she wasn't drinking and depressed in her undies staring out the window, I thought she wasn't the problem in writing my book a dark force i actually sort of tied it all together and realized that more of my uh challenges uh, with emotional and romantic relationships growing up were a result of my mother and came to learn that my mother really was very selfish very manipulative um she could lie uh, pretty quickly to get what she wanted and uh and liked a lot of attention now we all like attention but you know some people like attention a little more and when you're a mom you know you're usually supposed to be more selfless right you're supposed to put the attention more towards your children uh so anyway that's maybe how I grew up uh, craving attention because I didn't really get attention as a child because my mom was getting it
0: and then growing up uh-huh. Were you? So so I crave the same attention that you're talking about. Same family dynamic, just reverse the alcoholic part. Um, An emotional father that just didn't talk to us or only yelled, "Get out, get out!" I, you know, this, you know, we had our own tv rooms like we never had a family night watched a movie we never and if you dare walk into theirs which was the library you were not you know what do you want you got three seconds it's a commercial you and then and it was it was so not like normal families but I didn't know I mean I'd see my other friends and they all play games together and they do normal family things and you know people would actually drive their kids to school when it rained and my mother wouldn't even get out of bed because she was hung over and she would leave 60 cents on the counter and we'd have to walk literally you know we did have shoes but we'd have to walk a mile to school and it was just like she just didn't care you know mom it's snowing there's 12 feet of snow wouldn't wake up wouldn't care and so when you have someone that just doesn't value you you end up thinking
1: that's normal I that's right. yeah, oh just hit the nail on the head absolutely absolutely i became tall i could learn to tolerate being stonewalled that was the biggest thing in my marriage is that i would ask my husband a question and he would take 30 seconds to a minute to never to respond and i would just go oh well you know, you can't make a person answer you. So, oh, well, it's not like I felt like I didn't deserve an answer, but I thought I can't force them. So, you know, same thing, just move along. You're not getting an answer. Just accept it. Just accept everything, accept every bad behavior, accept everything you can't change. You know, life isn't fair, shrug, shrug, you know, just. (laughs) To me, ghosting was our family vacation. Like,
0: Never since we actually all left the house at, at 18, which we were never allowed back in, from from that point of of all of us being out there, we were never um a cohesive family. And we just didn't do anything together. And, you know, I thought that ghosting, like both of my sisters, never talked to each other. I was the only one. I thought I was the glue. I'm the glue that I'm the only one that talks to everyone. And and so when i had a man that
1: would ghost me it was normal it's like oh don't be I bad you can bad. fix it let me just fix this maybe i can do something that'll change that outcome right I'm watching you talk and and we're both doing this. And I wonder also if that's another similarity that we have and whether that brings attention. I know at least for myself, um, I feel like maybe that's why people notice me is because I I move a lot when I speak and I use my hands. I don't want to make you feel self-conscious. I actually love it. It's really expressive and it's fun to watch, you know, when people are talking and they're animated and whatnot. I don't want to be a dead person. That's a narcissist. They're all dead. I don't want that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So- not. And, and, and if we go back to negative attention, um, how did you get negative attention when you were growing up? Um, did you, Were you a good student? Because I went the opposite way of my my honorable sisters to get attention. I was the bad one. And I was failing gym and doing things just to piss them off to get that attention. Did that have any experience in your life? She's laughing. Oh
1: no, I was the best. I was such a good girl. Oh no, you're making me laugh because I think we're sisters and maybe your sisters are some other weird people or something. Oh, don't even get me going. I would like mouth off at the teachers. I would get up and walk out of class in the middle of a class, drinking, smoking pot. I shoplifting, you know, drove my car at a hundred miles an hour with open beer in the car, with kids in the car, ran a stop sign. I just I didn't anything. I didn't think I would live to the age of 30. And I didn't even, I wasn't even upset by it. I was like, oh, we're just going to have a fun time on this ride because I just figured something had to happen. I don't know. There was just something was going to go wrong and it never did. And here I am. So I'm very lucky to have survived myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Might say the same thing. I was actually with some high school friends yesterday and we were all having conversations about wow bad we were like if my son was half as bad as I would I don't know what I would have done right it's 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 amazing how much we did that should have killed us um just drunk driving again they didn't have safety belts I'm not talking like we're talking we're older they didn't have safety belts there was no DUI like it was it was just a different world back then and um you know just the the things that we did that were again was I did I was I doing it for attention i was starved for attention and so when it came into my my romantic relationship i didn't have the skills to know what a real relationship looked like i didn't know how to set boundaries i didn't know how to 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 navigate the waters of a healthy person and so i know that i had to do that work because i you know messed up a bunch of times but it, it is it is very very common for um, victims of this kind of abuse with the family of origin to either be the golden or the scapegoat and so we obviously both elected to be the scapegoat and get yep. that negative attention even if it was just for that so let's talk about um
1: what I t- just want to jump in for one second and tell you that I called myself even as a teenager the divining rod Whoa. you know what that is that's a little thing you put on top of the roof that attracts lightning I was the family divining rod bring it at me. I'm strong. I can take it. But really what I wanted was that attention that I wasn't getting. So wow. yeah. I
0: had a license plate for my Camaro Rally Sport that said wild one. Talk right. about arrest me. Like I didn't have that happen, but that was a ticket driving down the street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was it
0: red? <laughs> it was it had a big stripe it was green but it had this big stripe across it was you know one of those fancy ones and it was a stupid thing but again attention seeking just someone please validate me please love me I was searching for love in all the wrong places because I didn't know what love was so it was as quick as the intermittent stuff I got from my parents and my
1: family was all the people that ended up being in my life in those early years so boundaries too right we're looking for somebody to set a boundary somebody to say tracy you're grounded right and that means i love you i don't want anything to happen to you i want you to stay safe you need to learn to you know control yourself so nothing happens to you because i love you my little girl right but if they don't you're like well how far do i have to go to get somebody to say oh no i don't want anything to happen to you i love you right I never heard it. Did you? (laughs) No, I never heard uh, proud of you. All that career stuff I told you about. Not once. And I want to say my mom was about 87 years old. The first time she told me that I was attractive or pretty once. So she about 87, she was pretty close to gone. And she was laying in a ball in her nursing home. And I think it came and sat down. The light was behind me. I had a good hair day. And she goes, you really are pretty. It's the first time I ever heard it. I was like 60 years old. I'm like, thanks, mom. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she's cool. the model. She's the pretty one. Oh, of course. She's the pretty one. Oh, wow. That is so yeah. scary
0: um, to even think about that, that she was that way. But again, we didn't even talk about this. This is, has nothing to do with the book, but we're just talking about the overlap. And, and I think a lot of people are gonna go, oh my God, that was my life too. Mm-hmm. My mother was cared in Connecticut at a nursing home by my other sister and, um, I moved her here to Colorado. And when we're doing the intake to the doctor, the doctor's taking stuff down and, and the doctor said, you're so lucky to have a daughter that's, you know, going to be there and help you and everything. And she goes, you know, what's really weird is I never thought it would be Tracy because I always liked her the least. And the doctor just stopped dropped <laughs> his and, and went, excuse me, ma'am. You can't make that up. I was like, this is what I'm used to. This is normalized. Here I am, moved you across on a $20,000 medical jet to get you here to take care of you every day until you die. And she admits, "You, yeah, I never thought it'd be you. I, I liked you the least. <laughs> like, Thank you so much. May I have another lump? But that's what we get accustomed to. And that's how it ties in. And- being with a narcissist right if we have these kind of experiences it's it makes us vulnerable to someone else like you said with the the you know the passive aggressive behaviors and the not answering you and things like that when it's normal it's normal and and we don't even know it neither one of us knew we were with narcissists until they both were over and we were
1: able to do some research and they can smell us coming right they know exactly where the little weak spots and holes in us are and that's what they go for they fill up those little holes in you they give you that attention make you feel seen all the things you're looking for they can just detect you know people that have that need for you know being cared for loved or whatever are vulnerable to them and uh and they go in for the kill and uh they're so uh uh, I guess one of my biggest things I try to educate people about, about narcissism is it's all intentional. And that's something that I think it's really hard to unpack and really believe is that all of their actions are transactional and intentional, right? And uh, and that's just really hard to recover from when you have to kind of like uh, revisit your entire life with the narcissist, right? And go, so the from the day they meet you, they're looking for the holes in you they're looking for the tolerance level that you will exhibit you know to their bad behaviors they're testing you and then when they figure okay schmuck they're in you know they go in there they make sure they wrap you all up so you can't get away it really is just like a spider you know they inject you with a little bit of poison and then they start wrapping you up and then they eat you for lunch
0: look I have a new mug my favorite new mug poison wow, wow. and how very October of you That's right. it's a special month for October but um you know what what you're talking about too is that when they're looking for supply what value do you have besides the weaknesses that you described right, right? not seeing it I remember my last who who is not my husband but he he I came over his house one day and he was crying which I thought was so sensitive but he was hmm. crying a computer screen that his ex-wife had called him a narcissist and he was just like am I a narcissist honey no I'm so good I love my children and I didn't know what it was and I was like oh no honey you're not a narcissist holy crap was I surprised that that was a test does she know what it is And I passed the test. I didn't know. So therefore, I was good supply. And again, supply means what do you have that you can offer them, right? So everybody has different things, servitude. So, you know, how could you be that good wife, have that nice little baby, take care of the house and, and do all my bidding and take care of me for just a couple compliments and kindness once in a while right that's what we got with crumbs and this is the servitude part of they had a reason you were all of the good things about you and all of the bad things they could abuse either one of them
1: yeah all of it they're just taking inventory and studying you that they call that the the um what is that's not the mirroring the mirroring is when they act like you when they're uh I forget I forget some of those terms and whatnot but uh, but yeah, they're just looking for those places that they can get in and just go to fill your empty spaces and needs and whatnot so that they can get what they want. You know, um, since I was older, I was 40 when I met my narcissist, Fabio, uh, not his name, by the way, surprise. Um, I own my house outright and I already had a huge career going on right? Had a lot of friends. So he took one look at me. He had been kicked out by his first wife and living in a rented apartment. And, uh, so he looked at me and thought, hmm, house, money, job, you know, friends. So I had a lot to bring to the table for him. And, uh, and so he set about on his work to, you know, to just make sure he was bringing flowers and jewelry and, you know, uh, romantic as I we talked about earlier the Princess Bride was our favorite movie he was constantly quoting little love quotes from the Princess Bride to me uh he built me a kitchen and all the bathrooms and he just like he took care of everything and it's like this is the first time in my life I ever felt cared for he took care of you know the money, he would do the grocery shopping, he would do the driving, he would plan the vacations. Oh, this is just wonderful, I feel like a princess. Well, in the end, he had control of everything. He had control of my phone, he had control of all of the credit cards, he had control of all the bank accounts, he had control of all of the TV channels and the passwords, he had control of everything, right? And so when he decided to pull the rug and take off with it, I had nothing. Literally, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have an easy pass. I didn't have a Costco account. Have a TV doesn't, nothing. It's just crazy. Again, you can't make this shit up, right? The, I the- wanted him to take care of me. That's why it was, it was, Listen, I don't want to say it's my fault, but it was my vulnerability. It's what I wanted was to feel cared for. So that's what he honed in on. He gave it to you. You asked yes, he, did. he gave me exactly what I needed. Somebody to love me that believes me and hears
0: me and does all these wonderful things uh, you mentioned princess my ex and his entire family called him prince charming and i was now the princess they threw away all of my clothes when i first met them and said princess is dressed like this and they took me out to barney's and crazy stores and bought me prada shoes that are still in the closet worn once i never would wear that kind of stuff it's not me but they they tried to change me from the beginning and i didn't see it I was like oh my god he's like this is how families that love you are they take care of you and let's go buy you five thousand dollars in clothes today and i was just like oh i i don't deserve that i don't need that i'm fine you know but it was this is how princesses get used to it this is how we are and i was like okay well i didn't know the real family but this seems a little on the other side of it but it, it all fed into the charm and mm-hmm. fed into the hook. And as you said, and I have said before, we were looking for a family. Yeah. The most that we wanted was someone that would be there, be, do all those things and be a part of a give and take situation. But in the end, it really wasn't give and take, was it?
1: Not even at all. And, you know, neither of us knew what a family looked like or felt like, you know, yeah. it's not just four or five people living under one roof. That is not a family at all, you know? But at least for me, I felt like when I would go over and visit my friends, it's not like I saw a lot of family scenes, right? Because I'm playing there with my friend. So maybe dad was at work or mom was in the kitchen or maybe she was at work or some other thing. You know, I might see some interaction that was a little more affectionate from a mother to a child than I would receive myself. And I might feel a little twinge of jealousy just a little like oh that was kind of hmm I wish I had that uh but like I said I wasn't I wasn't uh I wasn't aware that there was a problem I really just didn't know how other families acted or how relationships were uh I didn't see my parents being affectionate with each other but then again it wasn't like everywhere I went I'd go to my friend's house and the parents are making out in the corner right I didn't see that but the kids did, right? My friends probably did catch mom and dad kissing in the corner, or pinching each other, or like hugging each other at the stove, right? They probably did when they were in family time. Uh, so I just didn't know, you know, I just didn't know. Uh, but I know now. Yeah, exactly. Now I got it. How was this?
0: Because this, as you were talking, I wrote it down. The family dynamic was also for us and my family was very wealthy we had a giant yacht we lived in big houses on the water we had a good life but for gifts I would beg I remember getting a little teeny tiny heart that was $30 for like a a gift for my like maybe sweet 16 or something and I just wanted something because everyone else was getting beautiful things and they'd come in after Christmas and they'd have their new outfits and I got new underwear and I was just like very confused by the fact that we had all this stuff and they could do all these amazing things but at the same time that's our money, not yours. You don't even, you know, I started working at 13 to be able to buy a second pair of pants for the whole school season, right? So it was very, very confusing. Did you have the same thing with your family where they were generous with you or they just like, you're on your own,
1: go get a job? Definitely you're on your own. The only difference is, is my parents didn't have money. So both of my parents, there weren't, there was no money. We were in a rent controlled apartment in the Upper West Side before the Upper West Side was the Upper West Side, right? I went to public school, you know, we had a wood panel station wagon just because my dad did business trips and whatnot. Um, but same feeling about the presence and the withholding and all that stuff. So we didn't get presents. I never, my, fa- I would thought about this. My father never took me out to like lunch or took me shopping or bought me a dress or, And same thing you're talking about, I started working at, I think 10 years old in New York City. I had a dog walking service and I got paid for that. And then my first real job was at an ice cream shop and I was 14 at that time. But the reason why I got the job at the ice cream shop is because I wanted a new corduroy gray wardrobe for school that year. I was like gray was the color, like a heather gray and I wanted some corduroy and some sweaters. And my mom said, your clothes are perfectly fine. So I wanted this style for this summer to be the hip in style or whatever I was seeing in a magazine. And, uh, and she's like, you don't need that. But I come from a long line of martyrs, you know, immigrant martyrs who are like, you know, just, (laughs) you don't need anything. You're lucky to be here, right? You're just, you're lucky we feed you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> our lives are just so overlapping my first job was at Friendly's scooping ice cream so oh, okay. um we really are sisters or are, are just like twins um so when you fell in love with Fabio let's go right to that what was it about him besides that he started doing things what was the hook what for me it was the charm and the
1: kindness and the the generosity what was it for fabio and you um I'm gonna say something that I always feel really guilty even thinking it's hard for me to actually say this I feel guilty saying it but I never loved Fabio I never loved him why she says why did you never love him I always felt some distance some secretiveness some uh something that was being withheld from me so I didn't I couldn't connect with him because he didn't speak very much so Fabio not charming not a bit not like your classic overt narcissist very quiet um he would sort of stand around with his arms folded at a party and just kind of agree with people okay Uh, or seemingly agree with people while he was probably going you're an idiot you got nothing smart to say I don't know why I'm wasting my time here but it does look good for you know to my wife that I'm pretending to talk to you oh good now I can escape right so that's what he's probably really thinking but as he's going people are thinking what a nice guy doesn't even take up any space in the room he's not all full of himself you know, not like that erin girl. <laughs> She's all talking and throwing herself around and needs all this attention, right? She needs all this attention. And he's he's good for her. He's good for her. He'll he'll weigh her down a little bit. Her he'll bring her down into some like, you know, reality or whatnot. I make my own dinner, right? I'm doing everything for myself. Then i moved out to california when i was 19 and i'm still alone trying to break into a career etc cetera, etc cetera. then i moved back to philadelphia for my career and i'm again living alone until i'm 31 years old right and then i met my first husband who uh he knows the narcissistic tricks but I wouldn't call him a narcissist. He loves babies. He has real empathy. You know, I've seen him cry and actually take some accountability for things occasionally. Uh, but he certainly knows how to triangulate, flame shift, and you know, maneuver when he wants to. But I wouldn't call him any kind of full-blown narcissist. Um, so I left my first husband when I was thirty-six. Had another four years alone. So I think that was it. This guy came along. He's going to fix all the broken things in my house. He's going to renovate my kitchen for me. He's going to pick up some groceries on his way over to like watch TV with me at night. And I thought, boy, this is so nice to have help. He's going to pick me up from the airport, right? How many times when you're single, do you have to like get some kind of a way home from the airport? Feels good to have somebody waiting for you. So for me, it was that he wasn't charming per se. He wasn't gushing with his, but he was reliable. You know, he would show up for dates. He would show up with flowers, right? You know, he just, uh, like I said, he was, uh, a little, he seemed like a rock. He seemed like a rock to me. And I thought, this is what I need. I actually need a rock to tether myself because I'm so crazy. I'm, I'm going to float away like a balloon. Right. So if I could only get some rock here to tether me, then I would probably be, you know, a little less, I hate to use the word crazy because that's their word. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like just sort of uh, untethered. That's it. Untethered. I always felt like I was just on, on the verge of going over a cliff sometimes. Does that make sense? You know? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> And and I know you had said something in the book about him being a crazy driver. And that related to me too, because narcissists are famous for they own the road, get out of my way, they're rude, they're horrible, mine drove so crazy that I would hold on to the handle, like, every single time, and he would be pissed at me, and I'm like, literally, I'm going like this, in the car, on the handle, and he's like, well, I'm from New York, you're just just not used to a New York driver, I'm like, well, we live in Colorado now, you don't need to drive like that, like, it was just an excuse after excuse, I felt unsafe, and he didn't give a shit,
1: no, not at all. Mine had uh, vision issues and dizziness. He had like a vertigo thing. So imagine getting behind, you know, in a car with uh, somebody like that behind the wheel. He would be on the steering wheel like this. Oh, creepy. Because he couldn't, vision. you know, he couldn't see. And he also was a tailgater so he and another thing he would do drove all of us crazy you know my son from my first marriage as well too is he would drive full speed into a stop sign or a light and then hit the brakes really hard so everybody in the car goes whoa like this whoa right you can see the light is turning it turns yellow first right (laughs) i mean that is mostly the way so uh so yeah, you can see the the light turning and or if you're approaching a light, you might want to take your foot off the accelerator just so you don't have to hit the brakes hard. But no matter how many times we mentioned that, it got worse every time. Right. And because we
0: yeah.
1: we're asking for
0: something, and therefore, you know, if we didn't want it, they would have given it to us on a silver platter. But if we say, you know, that bothers me, this is what happens. We're setting a boundary that makes me feel unsafe. Could you please just pay better attention to that yellow light right there's a color in there maybe he was colorblind right go for the position then sir you know like we were just looking for them to step into what our needs were but as adult children of narcissists we were used to not being heard so we were like okay just i guess i gotta accept this because right? hold on and that will be my car ride every time i'm in the car and then they would tell people that i'm a terrible driver i'm like I never had an accident. I've never, I mean, I get a couple speeding tickets like every 10 years, but I, I, I'm a really good driver and he would just smash his car and not even care. He would be like, oh, well, I'm like, last well, like it didn't matter. Nothing mattered.
1: The other guy's fault. Well, it's his fault. It's a blame shifting. thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. I should have seen all of those things. Right. So let's get back. We've talked about how this happened to us. Our backgrounds, our similarities and stories, and even mm-hmm. in of repeating patterns and looking for love um and just sort of some of the things that they do that were so familiar your book was like literally here's my life (laughs) Uh, during the um divorce yours hid money and did some other terrible things do you want to just give us a quick like what happened during the divorce Uh...
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm laughing because when I read, when I did the audiobook and I voiced and narrated the audiobook, I was fine until I got toward the end and had to relive all that stuff again, and I, I literally fell to the ground while I was speaking on the microphone multiple times. Had to leave. I'll come back next week. I can't do it. It was so painful. Uh, so I didn't know I was getting divorced until he told me after he filed. Had no idea. You know why? Because he kept saying. I love you. I'll never divorce you. You're going to have to divorce me. I will never file, right? Of course, he had a $5,000 lawyer on retainer already. And because I'm really good at telling myself whatever I want to believe, you know, my cognitive dissonance skills are top notch. <laughs> I saw that $5,000 charge on the credit card. And I mentioned it to him. I said, why do you, why'd you retain a lawyer? And he goes, oh, that's just in case you divorce me. And he goes, and if I don't need it, then she can redo the wills. And I believed it because I don't lie. I don't lie. So I think people aren't lying to me, especially not my husband of 20 years. Any maybe a stranger, but my husband wouldn't lie to me. Well, that's just foolish, you know? And uh, and that's something I also talk about a lot when I'm talking to people about narcissism is the first thing you have to accept is uh, they're out there they're out there there are people that are out there that do not have your best in uh best intent you know don't have their best intentions towards you right from the get-go right they're out there and they want to get something from you or get over on you or trick you or whatever from the get-go and you just have to accept the fact that they're out there and they don't think like you do and learn to recognize the words they say the things they do Because like you said, it's a textbook. It's a textbook. There are some slight variations. They say the same words. They say the same phrases. They do the same things. So once you learn those things, you can recognize them. And the other thing I tell people always, trust your gut. That's something that somebody like you and I, people like you and I have been taught not to trust your gut. You don't see what you're seeing. That's not your mom drunk in bed. You know, that's not happening. That's not happening. Just move along. Just don't look. And you go, okay, you know, and you just get trained and conditioned to do that. It's part of your survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> textbook, textbook. And and I swear we're married to the same guy. Um, <laughs> Maybe we were. I have to, Let me just jump in and tell you that I did have, and it's in the book, uh, Fabio's first wife of 13 years. So that's a total of 33 years of this guy. She and I got to compare notes. So I'm one of the lucky ones in that I was validated by another person in relationship with my husband who said, same, same, same. And he called her not just crazy. He called her psycho but with a B, that word. I'm not going to say it on your show, but he constantly in front of the daughter. So uh, she's not at all. And if she's if she was a little crazed, we all know how she got there. Exactly. Exactly. And and on
0: that one, the similarities were not with the ex husband, but with the next narcissist. Um, I became best friends with the girl he was sleeping with, and we went to Italy together on our bucket list trip. <laughs> and we've made, my idol. We've, we made videos together. She stayed with me for a month, two times, um, and we became. Oh, that's great sisters like and and it so it's so funny. But then when I was writing my book, I get a call from a woman who says, "Is this Tracy Malone?" And I'm like, "Hello, you know what do you want?" And I'm thinking they're selling me something. And she's like, "I've been dating your ex-husband, and I think you just saved my life." Oh my god, how wonderful! Her story of how his family was gaslighting her is in my book. So again, she invited me to her next wedding when she dated someone else we stayed friends for a while then she then she was marrying him she's like i want you to come and i'm like i think that's weird but um but at the same time like the similarities of everything that we've gone through you and i talked about something that was extremely cruel and i know we could sit here all day and talk about the horrible things they did to us but the pictures of your life mm-hmm. and my pictures of, of 10 years were completely destroyed tell us about the pictures in your life that he did
1: Well, you know, as I was mentioning, uh, Fabio controlled everything, and I thought that's what I always wanted. I always wanted somebody to take care of things, like, oh, I don't have to pay the bills and balance the checkbook and do all the grocery shopping and, you know, hire a plumber and hire an electrician or whatever to get things fixed around the house. I have somebody to help me with that. Uh, So he also took care of all of the pictures from, you know, the wedding, the vacations, the whatever we did around the house, You wouldn't find a lot of pictures of Fabio and I in the same picture together. You wouldn't find a lot of that. And let me just tell you, like, when I say I feel guilty about it, he didn't feel good to me. He was not kind to me. You know, in the beginning, yes, I'm all over him, like, you know. But by the time we moved in together, uh, he just, it's like that negative energy. You could feel it right i don't think i knew what i was dealing with at all at the time but now that's all i ever try to pay attention to you know is how do i feel and that's what i also tell people stop yourself ask yourself how does tracy feel here right how do i feel about this i don't like the way this feels and then act accordingly in your own best interest right and that's not like a narcissist does not in a calculated premeditated type of way i mean as life is happening slow down and check in with how you feel about things so and i i didn't i didn't get too into it i just want to step back for a second and let you know that fabio stole my one hundred thousand dollar prenup and tried to gaslight me about it and told me that i had ripped it up in front of him and that maybe i had a brain tumor he lied about pension stuff he probably had lots of secret bank accounts accounts all over the place he stole a three hundred thousand dollar retirement home that we built in Panama on an island overlooking the Caribbean now you ask how did he do that how do you steal a home well let me tell you in case you ever feel like doing that no I'm only kidding in Panama a person who is an expat cannot buy property you can start a corporation and the corporation can buy the property so Fabio's father was a federal judge which meant that Fabio was very well versed in legal issues and he would just take care of everything for me so he took care of everything legal in Spanish that I don't speak and I thought isn't he wonderful he's taking care of buying me a beautiful beautiful jungle property overlooking the Caribbean where I will live out my years doing yoga and growing my own vegetables and oh I just can't wait I'm gonna have the best life right well he gave himself a majority interest in the property so he could just pull it out from under me at any time he wanted to and we built this house together for eight years with a builder traveling to and from Panama the whole time I know nothing I'm probably standing there with him while he's telling the Builder that I'm not moving there. You know, he's probably telling the builder in Spanish, like, wait till you see what I got going on. You know, who knows? I'll never know. Um, but I came to learn that he had done this right from the get-go. And it was our Panamanian lawyer that eventually told me. She's a woman. She was like, did you know he did this? I said, no. She goes, should have said something. I just thought maybe you guys had a deal. So yeah, talk about calculated, premeditated, transactional, 20 years later, still the same person. So they cannot change. They cannot change. They can fool you for a while. The
0: good news is that we can and (laughs) heal all of those childhood wounds. We can, you know, learn to set better boundaries. We can learn how a bad person makes us feel. Because until I learned all this, I, I would feel terrible. And I would just be like, why? Why is he so mean? Instead of, like being forceful and going, that's not okay. I just took so much. And I know you did as well, but mm-hmm. victims who have been through this, who are relating to any of our little ha funny stories, yeah. these are true things. And you and I both know that most victims in some form have these types of things, cookie stamped. I even have, you ready? A rubber stamp. <laughs>
1: oh, I love it. <laughs> I thought that made me a nice person, right? i thought i was being a nice person right by being a schmuck and you know there's i've, I've learned so much and and i obviously you have to and i wish i didn't have to learn it the way that i did learn it it would have been nice to have learned these things from parents whether it be by example or whether it be by actual lessons you know teaching you this is you know how you should handle a situation like this you know there are some parents that actually do it um but i also think of our generation i start my book with all those phrases that we were told as kids you know i'll give you something to cry about don't do as i do do as i say you know shut up you know uh children should be seen and not heard <laughs> yeah seen and not heard you know clean your plate like what are all those things just dismissive stuff that You know maybe their parents said it to them and their parents said it to them as well but i feel like it created a lot of damage to people because it it took away your sense of self your sense of being you suddenly realize or i felt like i had no choice i had no rules i had no you know i had no i had rules i had no agency i had no valued opinion right nothing about me has value until i turn 18. right That's how I felt. So I just am waiting until I'm 18 so I can make a decision or, you know, as I put it in my book, have a fluffernutter sandwich, which I wasn't allowed to have either, uh, do the things that I wanted to do. Right. Um, But I wasn't even mad about it because I just thought, oh, well, I'm a kid, no rights. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, but I carried over into the marriage too. You know, it just carries along with you until you learn those hard lessons.
0: Absolutely. And again, the 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 cost of the lessons is far too high for most survivors and whether they get financially ruined or you know just everything stolen from you your home your retirement your life they've been conning the entire time so if people can start to realize the red flags earlier and not be there for 10 or 20 years you know this is what we have to educate the world and your book is a perfect thing for people to read you want to hold it up so people can see what it looks like
1: absolutely so I'm very proud of it it's called a dark force 20 years with a covert narcissist and uh and I get a lot of attention for the fact that I did put the word covert narcissist in it because that is a little bit of a buzzword these days people have a kind of a curiosity about well, what would a covert narcissist be you know because we all have seen overt narcissists you know in politics in you know movie stars uh even on tv depicted like maybe a don draper of mad men or Tony Soprano, who would just kill anybody, you know, for pop or whatever, with no empathy and no remorse or whatnot. So we see people like that, but those people are braggarts and they're walking around, you know, and they're like the head of the advertising agency or whatever they are, they're rich or whatever. Uh, Well, there's a whole nother variety uh, out there that my husband, I would call, he was like Eeyore, hardly talked, very socially, (laughs) socially awkward just kind of quiet and seemingly dutiful and you know uncomfortable and wasn't really good at sports i have to say he was kind of a mid-level everything you know he had a lot of talents and whatnot but i wouldn't say he really excelled at anything you know he was sort of a mid-level manager at work and he would say oh that's to take the focus off me because you know when you get up there in the higher echelons of management those are the people that get cut You know this way i can kind of stay under the radar here you know you just want to believe everything they say because you tell the truth you figure that's what they're saying well there's probably a whole lot of other reasons why you know um but anyway i came to learn that everything was uh everything was a lie everything and uh and that's a lot to sort of undo you start going over uh experiences that you had with a narcissist and you go oh so when he said this what he really meant was this right and uh, I'm going to bring up one of the narcissist uh gurus because this is how I wrote my book and her name is you probably know or Dr Romany right so I'm going to say Dr Romani. she suggested writing what she calls an ick list she said write down every icky thing they ever said or did to you things that made you feel icky so that in the aftermath you don't glorify them and remember the good parts or the what the fake good parts or whatever the false self that they present you know because it's almost ironclad then you can go back and revisit it and you can see the magnitude of really what happened to you and what you've been through well that's what turned into my book I sat there with my little ick list, and I would cross off this story, this word, this phrase, this mean thing he said, literally, they're almost all in here, about 98% of them, was my ick list of horrible, narcissistic things. Uh, And I didn't know I was going to go all the way back to my childhood. I had a couple of friends reading it a little bit in the beginning to help me out, just to point me in some direction, and one of my friends said... Well, first of all, you got to let us know some good stuff about this guy. Otherwise we're going to think you're the one with the problem. Why would you stay with somebody so horrible? And secondly, what in your childhood and in his childhood happened to come together and create that toxic mess? And I was like, okay, bingo, let's go back. So I'm so grateful to my friends that helped me get some direction for my book because there is a cause and effect. And that's what anybody who's been through one of these horrible toxic relationships you must look inside yourself and heal yourself and love yourself so that, uh, so that you are, you are capable of having, you know, a genuine love relationship, right? Cause it all starts in here. You know, we can blame them, point the finger at them all day and night. Just, I just want them to go away. Right. Go away. <laughs> be gone, be gone. Be, be gone, get your own planet, people. See ya. Exactly. Well, this has been such a
0: pleasure. Thank you so much, Erin. Uh, I'll put a link down below. How can people um, find you? I know we'll put a link down to the book as well, because I really think that if people read it, they will see these these truths in their own life as well. So, how can they find you?
1: Thank you. I I hear from people every week, a couple of people every week from all over the world that say, "Oh my God, same as you." Like same, same, same. Uh, so you can find me everywhere. I'm everywhere. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I have a website for the book, which is a darkforce.com. You can purchase autographed copies uh, on my website, and also, hold on—you'll get a kick out of this. Oh, please! I also sell, you know, just in case anybody needs one, I'll send you one. I figure everybody needs just one voodoo doll, you know, just for fun.
0: You know what here's the weird thing when my husband moved out and i was packing up all of the shit in the house i found this little box that was unopened it was a voodoo doll kit it had a doll had like pins had a book on how to do it and i i poke it i've obviously named it him and i poke it every while with 15 needles I'm like in and out sewing the needles through him and then i throw it somewhere like hidden and it's there for like a a year and then i'll like be dusting and go Oh, it's in the sewing box. There you go. And uh, (laughs) and for another year, It, it just gives me such a release. It's good. So I'm so glad you have that. That makes me laugh. Thank you. Yeah,
1: that's the whole point. You have to have some, you know, you have to keep it light to some degree. Otherwise, you know, the, just the pain of this will take you to the ground. And and I recognize that you are you and I are very fortunate in a lot of ways, in many, many ways. Some people have health issues that are paramount and prevent them from leaving. Some people, you know, have been taken out of the working world for many decades and are not able to get back into the working world. So, you know, we're both very fortunate that, you know, we have been able to regain the health issues, you know, that we suffered under the you know, the period of time that we were with a narcissist and, uh, and have the ability to, to work and take care of ourselves. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there for the people that are struggling, perhaps reading and educating yourself and learning some tools like gray rocking or, you know, just working on yourself so that you can keep yourself as healthy and happy as you can. So. What a great way to end
0: it. Thank you so much, Erin.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a real, and it's an honor, it really is. I don't wanna embarrass you, but I've had my eye on you for a long time. You've done a lot of work to help people and uh, thank you for doing that. There's a lot of us out here that really appreciate the help. Thank you.
0: Wasn't she great? <laughs> I don't know if it was me or just our similarities, but we could have talked all day long and compared stories and the similarities how did your narcissist measure up to this and did you have the family connection that made you more vulnerable to a narcissist these are the questions and the pieces the links that i wanted to tie together in sharing our story my story I, i thought it was important because i hear this every single day from people and so if you could start to identify that you are not alone that's what this video is for you're not alone and you're going to be okay so in the end we're both shining and happy and we wrote books and that is sweet justice so have a great day if you haven't subscribed to my channel please do my name is Tracy Malone I coach people from all over the world see the map behind me all the pins from all the people all over. I stopped putting them up because there's no room on the map to stick all the little pins in. But I can help you. So reach out. My information's down below. And I'll see you guys soon.